Thank you very much, Pastor. It's good to be here this morning. I'm thankful uh, for the privilege. I have two things to say before I preach. Uh, number one, I know the church has been getting Baptist bread, and uh, this month of December on the 5th, we had a word that was left out, and uh, it made the sentence sound like if you were saved, you were going to go to hell. How many caught that? Not one person in the building. <laughs> Better... You're not reading stuff right. I made it my duty as the editor to apologize to the... I'm going to be in... Th I've been in three churches this month, so I'm going to apologize. And I've only had one lady. I was in Baton Rouge. She, she caught it. Maybe two ladies in, in Baton Rouge caught it, so nobody else caught it. So maybe I ought to just forget about it, you know. <laughs> I added it up in my head. 1.2 million plus words have been in the Baptist bread in the last 23 years, and we leave out one and got in a little bit of trouble with a few people. But anyway, yeah, now they're going to look back and see what it said in December 5th. But also, I do have a little book table, and the preacher said something about giving. So if you buy any two books, I'll give you one free. I don't care what it is. Buy any two of the DVDs, I'll give you one free. So that's my giving today. Why don't you look in your book, if you would, to the 15th chapter of the book of Mark, and uh, it'll be accompanying it pretty close in your Bible, the 16th chapter of the book of Mark. And I want to talk to you this morning about what I feel like the Lord would have me discuss for your hearing. I do appreciate also Brother uh, Ellis's wonderful Sunday school lesson we had this morning. And I told him, I said, I'm going to use that stuff about your wife finding that mocha in the middle of the road. That's a, that is a miracle. I mean, that's something that's almost biblical, that miracle right there. Verse 27 of Mark chapter 15. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. In the 16th chapter in the first verse, we'll pick up the reading. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. They said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? When they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man. They saw a young man. Excuse me. And they entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frighted. He said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. I want to talk to you this morning on this topic, the error of unbelief. The error of unbelief. If you look at the 11th verse of this 16th chapter, these ladies came and they spoke 
to the disciples. And the Bible says in that 11th verse that they believed not. And then in the 13th verse, two men came who had been on the road to Emmaus and they went and told it unto the residue, it says in verse 13, and they believed, neither believed they them. And then in verse number 14, when he appeared in the middle of that verse, it says they were upbraided because of their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. In the 16th verse, in the last little phrase, it says, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The error of unbelief. Now, I don't know why they didn't believe for sure. It may have been the humble persona of the Savior himself as he walked the roads of Judea. Maybe that caused them to doubt. Maybe the disciples' deep despair at losing him whom they loved they were so shocked by the message of the resurrection that that caused them not to believe. Maybe if he would have come in splendor, others would have seen his might and power. Maybe then they would have believed. Maybe if he had come earlier in resplendent robes and proclaimed his grandeur, they would have caught the truth that one day he would rise from the dead and they would have believed. Maybe if he'd have come with a scepter in his hand and reigned in royalty, maybe if he had come to a palace for all the world to ponder his glory, maybe then they would have had a greater level of belief. But he didn't come that way. He came as a lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. He came to a manger and a stable and cooing doves and lowing cattle. Angels lit the Judean night and filled the air with song sung but to lowly shepherds. The lamb, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. He came for lost sinners to seek and to save those that needed redemption. He wandered the dusty roads of Judea. He went to wells and sick beds and under a rooftop one day and to pools where sick men lay. That led him to Gethsemane and Gabbatha and Golgotha and finally to a tomb in a garden. But thank God three days later up from the grave he arose. There are many players on the grand stage of this divine tragedy of all of history. I think when I was here at the meeting in March where a whole million people were at, uh, the Doherty girls sang a song and it talked about the silver was given to Judas and his body to Joseph 
And his mother was given to John to care for. His clothes were divided among the soldiers and his peace was given to his disciples and his blessing was given to followers. But thank God, his gospel has been given to the world. I thought about it, the donkey went back to its owner and the scoffers moved on to other things and Pilate washed his hands. And in my mind's eye, Pilate is still washing his hands today. Christ's sacrifice has cleansed the soul of every sinner that would come to him in faith believing. Jesus was a diamond in a casket of clay. He was a gold mine wrapped in human flesh. He was redemption robed in righteousness and forgiveness, thank God, flowed from his veins. He was the Messiah. It was amazing some of those Jews couldn't figure that out. For the Old Testament talks about the Messiah would make blind men to see and lepers to be healed and raise the dead. And Jesus did all of that. These two women here in Mark chapter 16 they beheld the place where he was laid. They found nothing. But in essence, they found everything that really mattered. Everything that mattered was this, that death could not hold him. For he embodied eternal life. Now what does the, what does the error of unbelief procure? What does doubting denial of his redemption produce? I'll be very plain this morning. It produces damnation. Damnation. Verse 16 says, but he that believeth not shall be damned. You say that's a hard word, but it's a Bible word. And it's a hard thing to slip out of this world lost. Not being lost in the woods or lost in traffic. It's to be damned for all eternity. It's how serious it is. Revelation 20 and 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation in verse number eight, it describes eight eight different types of people that go into the lake of fire. And the second of those is the unbelieving. Just the unbelieving. They could have been fine, upstanding citizens, but they were unbelieving. They could have been nice people that took care of all the things that they ought to take care of in life, the best neighbor on the block, but unbelieving. The unbelieving shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. Now what does belief, what does belief garner? What does faith gain? What does Jesus give? 
John chapter 1 and verse number 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation is wrapped up in believing in Jesus Christ. Belief. Belief. I'm talking about a belief that changes your life. I'm talking about a belief that changes your eternal destination. Not just believing in a little baby that was in a manger a long time ago. Not even believing that Jesus died on the cross. That's not going to save you. You've got to accept that is the only way that you can get to heaven is by trusting in the sacrificial death, the atonement that was paid for our sins on Calvary. where you've got to get to, friend. Now, all of us in this room have a life to live. There's a great question that's asked in James chapter 4 and verse number 14. What is your life? What is your life? Your life. This little fellow down here taking notes, he has a life. These Four fellas right there, they have a life. You have a life. We all have a life. One life. I thought about it. I used to preach messages, and it's in that same text. It's like a vapor that soon vanishes away. You know, life at best is brief. And I'd focus on that most of the time. But I tell you, this really grasps me. This thought about it's my life I got one what am I going to do with it your life is an object of redemption it's been settled since the foundations of the earth God has moved redemptively in your behalf the lamb the lamb of God was slain for you God's son was sent to save not only from the consequences of sin in hell, but I think from sin itself. I was talking to a brother down here, and I I agree with him 100%. I preach it. Without conviction, there'll be no conversion. And once you are converted, there will be some behaving. If you're a believer, you're a behaver. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We live a different life because we're going to another place one day. A life of holiness, a life of an evident change, a life of fellowship with God. Our lives are tales that are told. We start out as tiny tots, every one of us, and... We go through our teen years and then we get into tottering old age. It's just the way it goes. From birth to getting old and tired and worn out. And all of us have a book of our lives. What is, your, what is the book of your life read? Now I'm going to tell you what ought to be in it. There ought to be a page or a chapter in the book of your life. It talks about your redemption. It 
talks about the day that you got saved. Talks about your conversion. Because that's the most important page in the book of any man's life. Your life is an opportunity to come to Christ and to live for Christ. I think some people are deceived by church membership. You could be a member of every single church in Chattanooga and Rossville and all these little towns around about here. You could join every one of them, but that wouldn't get you to heaven. You could be good. You could be the finest, the best person. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. God help us. It's your life. What are you going to do with it? In light, in the light of heaven and in the view of the redemption of the purchased possession. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the, <laughs> the purchased possession procures. Heaven, which equals full redemption. It, it equals the completion of the purchase that Christ bought on Calvary with his own blood. It's the delivery of that possession into that perfect place and it's our presence one day being in his presence. Oh my goodness, to be in the presence of his presence. Boy, I get in church sometimes, you do too. I think we had a little bit of it here this morning, frankly. And you know he's here and you know he's blessing and yes. people are getting. But you talk about we're going to go to a place if you're saved where it's like that. I was going to say 24-7, but they don't have any night up there. It's going to be forever. Yes. And ever and ever and ever and ever. You say, I'm not interested in that. I am. Yes. I am. I'm greatly interested in that. Halder Linnaeus wrote a song called I Have Settled the Question. I have settled the question. And this question must be settled in the hearts of every single human being. Listen, if you expect to go to heaven, you get, need to get this question settled. Amen. The lyrics go, others may deny the Lord and live in sin, but the race that I have entered in, I must win. Through the pearly gates I mean to enter in. I have settled the question forever. I have settled the question. Hallelujah. I will never turn back from the narrow way. I'm going through with Jesus. Hallelujah. Till I reach the gates of glory some sweet day. Now you notice Brother Ellis and I both read the lyrics of songs today. That's because probably neither one of us can sing very well. There's two ways. Straight and narrow way that leads to life and the broad way that leads to destruction. Simple as that. You're either saved or lost. Brother Ellis said there's two kinds of people, the thankful and the unthankful. That's true. There's two kinds of people in what I'm talking about this morning, the saved and the lost. That's what there is. There's, there's, just, there's no gray area. There's no middle ground when it comes to salvation, being born again. God help us to realize what really matters in life. 
Now you have a choice to make. Remember, uh, those of you that know your Bible, in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, uh, Paul is preaching at Mars Hill. If you ever get to go to Greece, I'd advise you to go to Mars Hill. That spot where Paul preached is still there. You can see it. It's one, probably one of the most authentic things in all of that part of the world. You can see where he stood and preached to that crowd of some skeptics and some Stoics were there and some folks. And there was a lot of different reaction to his sermon. It's interesting. Uh, in Acts 17, 32 and 34, the Bible says that the Greeks heard, when they heard of the resurrection, some mocked. Some desired to hear again. They said they, they wanted further inquiry. But some believed. <laughs> that last verse, there was a man that believed and a woman that believed and many others. So when a man stands to preach, I don't care where it is, some are going to mock. That's no big problem. Paul had those. Some will say, you know, I'll think about it. Maybe, you know, next week I'll come back to church and get saved. Or, I, you know, they, you know they, want a, they want a little more information. I understand that. But I'm thanking God this morning that every once in a while when a man stands to preach, some believe. The error of unbelief is damnation. I don't know how any thousand preachers could ever describe the horribleness of damnation to die and go to hell forever forever and forever I heard a a little story recently true story from World War II about some American soldiers that had been captured and uh, they were in a prisoner of war camp. There were 20 of them that every day, their assignment, they'd come out of the barracks. Uh, one of the soldiers that was over them, the enemy, would come there and uh, distribute to them 20 shovels. They'd have to go every day and dig all day long with those shovels, digging things that they wanted and uh, maybe latrines and maybe uh, to build another barracks. But that's all those 20 men did day after day after day was dig with those 20 shovels. When they came back in the evening so they could go and get a little meager meal of just a piece of bread and maybe a little bit of dirty water and probably moldy bread, before they could go, their guard would have to count the shovels. And if they were 20, everything was fine. They could go, go eat and then go you know, sleep on a little uh, two-by-twelve board. One day they came back and the guard counted and he said, there's only 19. Now some of you have done, someone has done something with that 19 shovel, that 20th shovel, the missing shovel. Somebody, you, you got plans, you're, you're, you're trying to escape, you're doing something. What have you done with that shovel? Nobody said, nobody did anything because they, they didn't know what to do. Finally, he said, 
If somebody doesn't step forward and tell me what you've done with that shovel, I'm going to kill five of you right now at random. Now you think about the soldier boys of World War II. The majority of them were just late teens to 22 years of age. There were some older ones that went later on. But boy, in the opening days, they were just young boys. And one of those young men, he was 19 years of age, he stepped forward. The guard said, get on your knees. And he walked over and shot him in the head and killed him. The soldiers were then told to go gather their gather the shovels and they went over there and there was 20 shovels there. The guard had miscounted. Those men realized that one young man had died in their place. You could say he died for just five, but it was at random those that would have been chosen. He died for those 20 those, those 19 other fellows, one guy, he hadn't done anything wrong. But to save at least five and, and at, at random the other 19, he stepped forward and died. You say, what a wonderful thing for that young boy to do. What a, what a sacrifice. On that old hill of Calvary, 2,000 years ago, one young man, died for you. And he died for me. And for every single sinner that has disgraced this world with his life, the vilest, the lowest, the deepest in, in, the, in the dregs of demonic deviltry, he died for all of us. The Lamb of God took away our sin. I've been so enamored with the verse of Scripture in Micah chapter 7. And in that seventh chapter, there's a picture of gathered fruit. There's a judge that was bought. There's some mischievous great men. There's some untrusting friends. Uh, there's some guides and mates. There's some dishonoring children. There's uh, panoramas of rivers and seas and mountains and sky. There's historical landmarks mentioned and memories of greatness. But that little verse says, we have a God. We have a God that pardoneth iniquity because he delighteth in mercy. He passes over the transgressions and does not retain anger because he'll pardon your iniquity and he delights in being merciful. How can you turn your back on a God like that? How can you continue to be an unbeliever with a Savior like that? I don't know, in this room there may be someone lost. I would think in a crowd the size of this, there's a lost person or 10. How in the world 
Can you turn your back on him who will forgive every dark, ugly thing you've ever done in your life and cleanse you and make you as white as snow and give you a home in heaven and a wonderful life to live here. I don't understand it. I, I know I, I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel. Every once in a while you run across some smart person who the very first time they heard the gospel, they, they got saved. But there's not a lot of us that are that smart. We're dumb. We're selfish. We're sinners. We delight in our sin. We enjoy it. There is, there is pleasure in sin for just a season. Doesn't last very long. But eternity does. Hell does. Damnation does. You say that's a strong word. I know it is. But it's a Bible word. You don't believe in Jesus Christ and you die that way as a lost sinner, you will be damned. And all of the ramifications of that powerful, strong, really it ought to be a frightening word. Damnation. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have salvation. And forgiveness of sins and heaven as your home and a wonderful life to live here like our brother taught us in Sunday school pray or yep prayer you can pray right you can do right you can think right in that fourth chapter of the book of Philippians you'll act right you'll do right that's a wonderful way to live a life on this planet and to go into the next life with eternal life and salvation. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes this morning. This old, old story from this precious old book. Folks been hearing it for centuries. Some mock some say, well, I don't think about it. I, you know, discuss it a little bit, go over it. But I'm thankful for those that believe. And I'm thankful that I have believed. And I pray, Lord, those that might be in this room this morning yet in unbelief, that they would be transported into the realm of a believer. And our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Anybody here this morning say, Preacher, I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. But this Sunday, and it'll be easy to remember three days before Christmas 2020, I got born again. I got saved. Be a good thing to do today. Is anyone here by uplifted hands say, Preacher, I'm not saved? I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'd like to get it settled today. Would you raise it high that I can see it? There's a young lady. God bless you. 
Anyone else? Young man, God bless you. I'm not saved, not sure I'm saved. I'd like to get it settled today. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? Are you yet in your unbelief? Are you yet in your doubt? That his death and his burial and his resurrection is the proof of the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ. I see that hand. Anybody else? I'm not saved, not sure I'm saved, but I'd like to get it settled today. Anybody else? Father in heaven, you know the hearts and minds, you know the souls, you know the spiritual condition of every single one of us in this room. There is nothing hidden before your eyes, you know. And I pray, Lord, if there be someone, those that raise their hand and even others that are not Christian, that are not saved, that are not born again, that are unbelievers, I pray, God, you would transport them into the realm of the believers this morning. For Jesus' sake, let's stand to our feet. Our brother's going to sing, lead us in this song. If you'd like to be saved today, I wish you'd step out. Let someone take the Bible, the Word of God, and show you how to become a Christian. Would you come as we sing?